1: Hey, once again, welcome to the show. All right, I've got a special guest joining me for the next little bit. I uh, wanna welcome Representative Mark Roberts. He is a Utah legislator. And Mark, I know you are super busy, but I appreciate you taking some time to visit with me and with my audience. Um, Your name popped up on my Facebook feed and actually you were on my radar before as one of the people who has, has been trying to cling to principle and to lead out uh, when it comes to the uh, emergency powers that are being exercised by the governor and other health officials uh, during this COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, I, I understand that a resolution ha- has been drafted and maybe you could walk us through the, the process. Were, were you the, the chief uh, author of this resolution?
2: Right. So, I mean, to, I think we should clarify a little bit. I mean, when we say a resolution should be drafted, I think a lot of people immediately think that that uh, you know this is a, a, a normal like or a typical resolution that that would be drafted by our legislative attorneys who draft our bills and legislation uh, that we hear during the session or special sessions to be voted on. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is not our legislative attorneys have not drafted this. Um, It's not numbered or anything like that. Uh, It's just a a, um, idea proposed uh, resolution of what a resolution could look like um, were we to follow um, the state statute that indicates how the legislature may end a state of emergency. Um, And so that's what it is. I I got the idea to just throw something together after talking with our legal counsel on how we would even go about doing this. And after my reading of of our statute and then also saw Idaho attempt to do the same in a special session they had and actually just grabbed their draft and, and modified that to tailor to Utah. And you know some other people helped, but the point of it was just to clarify. Hey, here's what the code says with regards to how you declare a state of emergency, how long it lasts, and how you end it. And here's an example of what a resolution could look like to end it.
1: Now let's let's talk about. Yeah, it's. I, all I know is there are a, a lot of Utahs myself included who are, are looking you know around going okay we were told there's going to be a couple of weeks of flattening the curve and then okay we're gonna be careful for a couple more weeks and it just keeps getting extended and extended and and at this point it looks like there yeah. is no end in sight now I know that you and other lawmakers had an opportunity to to address this a, a few months ago um, but unfortunately that that opportunity was was scuttled and I'm sad to say, I bought into the hysteria immediately when I when I heard about this bill that was uh, to, to, to clarify, you know, who could who could exercise those emergency powers and take it out of the hands of the unelected bureaucrats and make sure it was in the hands of people directly accountable to the voters. But uh, some well-intended but unfortunately misinformed groups, they lobbied hard that this is a new Nazi enabling act and ended up getting the thing killed. And I, I fear that we've we've missed a great opportunity.
2: Yeah, I would agree with you. I think that was our opportunity. That I think that was the first or second special session that we were in back in May or June. And a lot of us in the legislature were very concerned as a lot of people across the state were with, with you know where the authority of local health departments and state health departments came from and who had oversight of these local health departments and the orders that were being given out how that worked, the relationship between them and and the counties um, and, and then the, you know, the government governor's emergency powers. And so HB 3009, I think it was, was drafted and put out there. And, and I I felt like it did a a pretty good job at at, um, uh, restraining a lot of that and and reframing it, um, you know, for the pandemic and uh the situation we were in but yeah it kind of uh got loose um in the public grassroots and just i've never received so many emails and text messages on an issue as i have on that one um and i just don't think people understood it and it probably would have been better off uh had those individuals who didn't like it maybe reached out to the sponsor or us and said hey i I like what you're doing i i think we do need to clamp down on the governor's and the, the health department's powers here but but maybe look at it this way or here's some unintended consequences that you may not be seeing with this because at the end of the day I think we were all on the same page of what we wanted to happen. All those who were upset with the bill (laughs) um, wanted the same thing that we wanted that we're trying to push the bill. And and I get it. There's always a distrust in government and government officials and legislators trying to grab more power. I get it should be there, but that wasn't the case in this. And and we did lose an opportunity there. Not sure if we're going to get it back. Um, until the session, right, and, and things will be very different at that point.
1: Let's let's talk about where we stand right now. Uh, the governor re-upped the emergency declaration. I know uh, in Utah County, where I live, uh, county commissioners piled on and imposed a mask mandate, and uh, a couple of cities, o- uh, o- Provo and Orem, you know, were moved to to condition orange. Um, this doesn't seem like it's it's going to go away and i don't mean just because there's a higher number of reported positive tests it seems like there are political leaders who are are clinging to that state of emergency for whatever reason and and i'm trying to to figure out what could possibly what what could benefit them by keeping a state of emergency going beyond where it's actually needed
2: yeah no i agree and and, and to be clear The state of emergency, so let's pretend that we were somehow able to get everybody together. Um, We convened as a legislature. We passed a joint resolution to end the state of emergency. Not a whole lot would materially change. The, The state of emergency would end, but the mask mandates, lockdowns, um, anything local county commissioners are doing, or will do, or have done, or local health departments, the state health departments, kids wearing masks in schools—none of that changes. That 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 all stays in place, and can continue to happen. You know, really, the governor's will, or the county commissioners' will, or the um, the local health departments' will—all that stuff is not coming. From underneath a declared state of emergency, and we don't need a declared state of emergency for those entities to do that. And that's what we were trying to address, really, in that bill back in um, May that that uh, we weren't able, we ended up not running. Uh, so I think there is some confusion there amongst the public and and people that hey, ending the state of emergency will end all of that. It won't, to me ending the state of emergency the resolution really is a separation of powers issue it's a you know it's a statutory issue it's it's um you know it's uh, the way i read the code um says we can do it and and i don't interpret it that the governor can just keep doing these 30-day tranches of emergency powers now there's some disagreement on that um but that's the way i read it and, and, and others read it uh uh, so this, for me, the the joint, you know, ending a declaration of emergency is really just a separation of powers issue, um, and, uh, and and also pointing out that hey, um, you know, we we aren't in a state of emergency, right? Like there's nothing that's going on right now. Sure, that COVID's an issue. It's out there. It exists. It's real. And if something happens, the legislature can convene pretty quickly. To deal with whatever that may be, we don't need the governor sitting out there with a whole list of additional powers that he can use just in case, right? Um, So that that's what the declaration of emergency is, and it's different than the mask mandates and the lockdowns and the color coding.
1: Well, we've we've got to take a break here in just a moment. Again, my guest is Representative Mark Roberts. and we're, we're talking about what I know has been on a lot of people's minds, and that is, you know, the, the the state of emergency, some of the various mandates that have been put out, and how they are affecting us. Stay with us. We'll pick up our conversation just the other side of these commercial messages. You are listening to the Brian Hyde Show. and I would encourage you to check out the show notes. They're right there on the website, the Brianhidesshow. com. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: Hey, once again, welcome to the show. My guest is Representative Mark Roberts, he is a legislator in the state of Utah, and we're talking about a situation that I know is not unique just to the state of Utah. It's the emergency that has come about because of the COVID-19 pandemic and, and more appropriately, some of the official response. And Mark, as, as you and I were talking off the air, um, at some point, there, there's got to be a point where, where we can at least stop hunkering down, or at least I'd like to believe there is. But, uh, but I don't know. You know, what? when I look to, for instance, Governor Herbert, or when I look to some of the various health officials, it seems like uh, indefinite is, is pretty much the only answer that they're willing to give. How long do we have to keep doing this? Well, let you know, we'll just have to keep doing it indefinitely. And I don't see anything that would bear out why that is necessary. Give me your thoughts.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, it's, it's hard for me to sit here and, and you know, uh, people comment and, and say different things like you're wrong you know that's you know there's people are you know being affected and and, and whatnot and and so you know we, we need to keep these things in place and these measures in place they need to be stricter and, and I just wonder okay so for how long right and until and when and what's the end game what's the goal and have you stopped to consider You know, the um, unintended consequences with this, Um, you know, both, you know, from the economy to to public health, right? Not that that is suffering, not just from people with COVID, but all kinds of other issues that are coming to place um, because of so much focus on the COVID issue. So that's hard for me to understand. I just don't get it. Like, you know, what's the end game? You know, for how long? You know, do do people want us to remain locked down, socially distanced, spread out? Restaurants going out of business, other retail places going out of business, people not being able to get, um, you know, uh, d- different treatment and and uh, you know, healthcare related items like they used to. Um, anyway, so yeah, I agree with you on that.
1: Mark, what kind of feedback are you getting from your constituents? Whether it's people within the business community, um, or just you know average voters out there, I'm sure you're hearing from people about what's going on. Are are they uh, are they petitioning you? Hey, can the legislature, you know, convene a special session? Is there something that, that can be done to to at least lighten the uh, regulatory load that's being placed on us in an effort to to avoid COVID?
2: Oh yeah, Mike. My- my constituents are fed up. I mean, the emails I get, the messages I get, they're fed up. And I represent Southern Utah County. And that would be a little bit of Salem, Pace and Elkridge, Santa Genoa Goshen. Um, at least those that have reached out to me, uh, they're, they're tired of the situation. They want to know how to end it. You know, how do we get out of, that's one reason I put this, resolution and and statement out there was, you know, you want to know how you get out of a state of emergency. Well, here's what the code says and here's how you do it. Um, Yeah. So that's what I'm hearing. You know, it's funny. We've got this mask mandate, you know, from the County commissioners here in Utah County. And I don't know, we must not have got the memo down here in Southern Utah County, maybe in some places, but there's still some, You know, locations and and individuals and and people, um, I would say I see more people not wearing the mask down here than I do see people wearing it.
1: Yeah, I I hate to see the the artificial division that has come about because of this. And, you know, I don't think the people who are are, uh, not fans of masks, which, by the way, I'm one of those people who's not a fan of them. It's not that I'm saying this is a hoax or there's no such thing as coronavirus. I think it's very real. And I know people who have actually ended up on ventilators in the hospital. Um, So it's something I take seriously. But I also believe there's a lot of overreaction going on and. That's OK if it's coming from the private sector. But it seems like when that overreaction is tied to officialdom, it seems like we all suffer needlessly.
2: Yeah, well, Brian, it, as individuals, my, my take has always been, and this is how I voted on different items in the legislature, and, and we, we ought to be able to assess our own risks in life and make that judgment and act accordingly instead of um, the government um, assessing the risks for us and telling us how we should act and behave. Um, It's not one size fits all. And a lot of times the government feels so benevolent, social do-gooders, you know, uh, uh, that uh, feel like we need to come out and, and tell people how to act and behave and um, what risks they're allowed to take or not without us telling them that, you know, they're breaking the law.
1: Oh, that's it. That's that's probably the single biggest source of frustration for me is, you know, well, it, it's the appearance. You you can't be trusted to do this. So, you know, Big Mother is going to put her smothery arms around you and, and, and show you the way you should go. What's the best thing, yeah. in your opinion, that... Uh, that citizens can do right now to make their voices heard? Because I feel like our, our pleas are falling on deaf ears as far as the governor's office is concerned. What to, What do you recommend we do in regards to our representatives?
2: I Well, I mean, in regards to representatives, just keep bugging them. And I would say this, bug your representative. Reach out, and maybe bug's not the right term, word, but reach out to your representative and your senator. Try not to fill out a um, a. Uh, there's these forms online where you fill it out or something, and an email goes out to every single one of us. We don't pay attention to those. We pay attention to our constituents, and, and so reach out to your representative. And if your is on board, you know, talk to people in your network and, and other places that um, maybe have a representative or senator that um you know uh needs to be reaching out to but i would strongly emphasize that make sure you reach out to your representative and senator don't bug others that are out there and let them know that you're their constituent
1: is it likely that we're going to see a special session before the regularly scheduled january session you know to to deal with this or is this something that's going to have to wait till the end of the year
2: i have no idea i mean um that's for leadership to decide uh i i you know we're not going to see one before the election that's for sure um whether we see one after between then and the end of the year or the the general session which starts end of january i have no idea couldn't tell you
1: okay well, and it's I, I understand there's there's a lot of moving parts out there. Um, yeah. Just just trying to get a feel for where and how some kind of action can be taken. I, I don't know. You know, the the election itself has me questioning, you know, just how stable things are going to be here in the next few weeks. And it just seems like we we already have all these added levels of difficulty because of the, the reaction to covid-19 um, it just yeah. doesn't, it doesn't sound like we have a very easy path to tread between now and the end of the year.
2: Well, now we've got a president with COVID, too, apparently.
1: Yeah. Well, the, there's another level of difficulty being added on. Mark, yeah. I, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to, to talk with me. And, and I especially appreciate you taking a stand that could be seen as quite unpopular in some circles. I'm sure you've taken heat, uh, you know, for, for what you have, have said and how you have tried to, you know, help uh, people come to an understanding of what the state of emergency is, how, how the rules need to be followed. But thanks for doing what you're doing, and please keep up the good work.
2: You bet. Thanks, Brian.
1: Okay. That was Representative uh, Mark Roberts, and uh, I, I really wish... I sincerely wish that there was, there was a possibility of uh, the governor's wings being clipped sooner than later. And if I could be just perfectly honest, it's because I think that it's, it's pretty likely Spencer Cox is going to be elected as uh, Gary Herbert's replacement here in Utah. And if anything, just going on Cox's uh, social media presence, he's likely to be worse than Herbert. In terms of his respect for individual rights and private property, in regards to the COVID response. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: This is the Brian Hyde show. this is is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: All right, welcome back to the show. By the way, 801-331-8113 is the number. It's been very interesting. Uh, I've I've tried to steer clear of social media somewhat today, but uh, as part of my daily routine and part of my show prep, I kind of have to go on there. A lot of hate. Ooh, there's a lot of hatred out there, a lot of people who are uh, showing their true colors. And uh, let's, there are a couple of, couple of things that uh, I think have, have been pointed out. Uh, Kurt Mercadante, I had him on the show here a few weeks ago. I got to have him back just because I really love this guy's take on things. And he had a couple of gems of wisdom he shared on Twitter earlier today that were so good that now I want to share them with you. You're free to do with them as you will. If you want to chuck them, that's fine. If you want to adopt it, that's fine as well. But as I look at some of the, the gleeful negativity, the gleeful schadenfreude, I think I'm saying that correctly. Anyway, the rejoicing in someone else's misfortune, specifically, you know, the president being diagnosed with COVID-19. Kurt points out that there are some people for whom politics has become everything. Every act, every thought is Political. And he says, as long as those people are trapped in that prison of politicality, yes, he says, I made up that word, they will never truly be free. I just, I offer that to you as that's likely the most profound thing you're going to hear all day today. And I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I've I've run into some people recently on, on Facebook, I had a friend yesterday who, um, she posted something about, uh, well, you know. How can libertarians, you know, uh, agree with uh, or agree that crony capitalism is bad and yet at the same time think it's okay that Trump got away with not paying a ton of taxes? And my response was, um, I don't see the problem. And her response was, well, it sucks to be you. And I'm like, wow, (laughs) there's a person who's not real happy inside at some level. Because I didn't think that was really provocative or, or even, you know, edgy to suggest maybe two things could be true at the same time. And I, I've seen this from other people as well, and, and I'm, I'm making kind of a stereotype call here, so forgive me, this is probably really politically incorrect. But the most miserable people that I know are the people for whom Everything has become political. They're the ones who spend all their time every day obsessing and fretting about, uh, did you see what Trump says? And did you see what Biden says? And they just, they gauge every human interaction. Well, I used to like that person. but They said something bad about Trump once. And now I just, uh, I got to throw him out the window or, or whatever it is. I'm going to return now to, uh, to Kurt uh, Mercadante who points out it's not Trump that's making your life miserable. And Trump supporters, he says, it's not Biden that will make your life miserable. Perhaps it's you that's making your life miserable. His point is freedom starts between your own two ears. And I'm not going to tell you, though, I've got this down, but, but there's wisdom in what he's saying. And I have learned that lesson over the years. I mean, I have, a, I have a dear family member who's asked me, what? you don't get upset? You don't get upset that we have this racist president? Obviously, this is something that, that matters very deeply to her. And, you know, that's, I'm not telling her you can't think that way. But my response is, I don't give that much thought. I don't give room for Donald Trump or any other politician to take up residence in my mind. They don't get to live there rent-free. And I know to some people, well, then that makes you ignorant. Does it? Because I don't spend my time thinking about it all the time? No. It makes me, are you ready for this? A discriminating individual. Do you remember when that was actually a good word? As in, I can discriminate between, you know, a higher grade of coffee and this swill that, uh, you know, they're serving me at, uh, at the corner gas station. I just discriminate between what adds value to my life and what doesn't. And you know what? Obsessing over politics just doesn't add that much value. And so I make a conscious decision not to let it dwell between my ears. I have bigger things to do. I have hopefully more positive things to do. So I appreciate Kurt Mercadante for pointing out, it's not the politician that makes you grind your teeth. It's you that makes you grind your teeth. And I especially appreciate him pointing out the idea that, you know, if if you are, if you are obsessed with politics, that's going to make you miserable. You're trapped in a prison of politicality. Merriam-Webster really needs to pick up that word. Politics is not everything. And the people who let every act, every thought be political typically become the kind of people you just don't want to be around. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. All right, moving on. A couple of different ways I'd like to go here. Um, there's, a, there's a thought here about uh, when it comes to keeping us safe from a pandemic, tyranny isn't going to do it. This is an article by James Bovard. And he, he shared this on the Foundation for, uh, the Future of Foundation, the Future of Freedom Foundation. Sorry, I, there's a lot of foundations that I like to frequent, and <laughs> this is one. It's triplef.org, fff.org. All he points out here, though, is, look, politicians have destroyed more than 13 million jobs this year in a deluge of edicts aimed to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. If there's anything that we have learned, anything that we should be able to see very clearly, it's that the COVID crisis has shown us just how easy it is for politicians to fan our fears and seize almost absolute power, and also how the anti-COVID government crackdowns are ultimately doing more damage than the virus. We'll come back to this in a moment. Let's go to the phone, 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to the show. Hello. Howdy. Yeah, you
3: know can't even get the robocalls under control.
1: Are you? Are, is your phone ringing off the hook?
3: You know, I, I, I got to listen to hear about, you know, the Marriott Hotels and, you know, uh, all the other stuff and my, my car warranty program and, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm just wondering, I, you know, who gives these people the right to get my phone number and call me up and take valuable time out of my day to make me stop doing what I'm doing and answer the phone and then I find out it's these uh, people sales so listening you know it's just it's insanity
1: and you don't even get I, the I, satisfaction I, of hanging up on an actual person who's who's you know interfering with your day
3: actually I have to take time and I get them on the phone and I okay. say, yeah yeah how you doing yeah, and I'm real interested and I <laughs> I I want to know about the drinks. What kind of drinks you got going on there on that boat? But the truth of the matter is, government isn't going to fix this, no matter what they do. Very true. They haven't haven't fixed the flu shot. They haven't. I don't know why everybody's looking for government to fix this problem of COVID-19, this so-called disease. I call it the common cold, is what I call it. The common cold, if you're not in shape, will kill you just as easy as whatever this COVID-19 is.
1: Oh, point and taken. We
3: wasting, we're wasting so much valuable time on this. President Trump should be out doing what he normally does. They shouldn't even be thinking of the quarantine. If he feels good enough to get up and go, let him go.
1: Going to be I mean, interesting to see if if uh, hydroxychloroquine becomes, uh, or, you know, if that if that's if that is the treatment that they go with, and if he re- recovers and responds quickly. I, I think it would lend some credibility to, you know, those who have said this is not only a good preventative measure, but it's also a great way to deal with it when you are diagnosed with actually having COVID.
3: Maybe he doesn't even have it, and he's wanting to see what their next move is going to be.
1: I've seen, I've seen some theories to that effect. Well, I'll just watch. He's going to play the sympathy card. He's going to come out there and dramatically announce that he has COVID, and you know, this is what this is what's going to happen. I don't know. Politics nothing would w- nothing would surprise me. I know someone will always ascribe <laughs> ulterior motives to it, no matter what. You could put out a guy who's on fire and someone would still, you know, well, he only did that because he knew he was gonna get positive press.
3: Yeah. I've heard that before too. Um yeah, I, I think I think we've just gotta let this thing run its course at this point now and see how many people get through it. And You know, I think everyone needs to get immune to it, Uh, build up an immunity like any other natural thing. You're going to either do it or you're not going to do it. If you're scared, stay in your house. If you're not scared, just go about your business because that's what this is all about, to prevent you from going about your business. That's my theory on this.
1: Okay. Got to stop you here, but thanks so much for your call. We will come back in just a few moments. I have something I do want to share with you, and it's uh, how to talk to your kids. Some great ways to teach your kids about finances and money. And I'm talking young kids. Stuff that I wish I had learned uh, when I was a lot younger. Stick around.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: Hey, once again, thanks for reveling in wrong think with me today. And please remember to check out the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. You're going to find some great goodies there, including essays and articles I didn't have time to get to on the program today. And if you're so inclined, if you find some value in this message, if you find it informative, please feel free to share it with friends. Subscribe to the podcast if you choose I would encourage you, think about uh, throwing a few shekels our way as a, a patron of The Brian Hyde Show. Got the link right there in the show notes, and you can check it out for yourself at the thebrianhydeshow.com. So I mentioned an article from James Bovard about how uh, tyranny won't keep us safe. Just a couple quick excerpts here, because I, I really feel like we, we are on the precipice of real, honest-to-goodness tyranny in response to COVID-19. And it's, it's not coming from necessarily the federal government. This is coming at a more local level. It's coming from your county commissioners. It's coming from your gubernatorial offices. It's, it's closer to home. And it may be well-intended, but it doesn't change the fact that it is still damaging us in ways that we will not understand fully for many years to come. Here's here's the thing that uh, James Bovard points out that I think is central to the idea that you can't implement enough tyranny to keep us safe. He says, because politicians have no liability for the economic damage they inflict, they have no incentive to minimize the disruptions they decree. Trillions of dollars of new deficit spending will be vexing American workers for many years. As Reasons Matt Welch noted, the estimated $3 trillion price tag on the first four batches of COVID-19 stimulus, divided by 330 million increasingly underemployed U.S. residents, equals $9,000 per capita. Which has ended up where government payouts usually go, to entities with better connections than you. And James Bovard says, permitting governments to seize boundless power on the basis of shaky extrapolations of infection rates will destroy our nation. He says Trump's boast of being a wartime president should recoil on him after the government launched a preemptive attack on American prosperity. It'll be years until we know how much permanent damage was inflicted by politicians' panicky responses to the pandemic. And I know, and look, if you're thinking, well, now, Brian, what, what would you have had them do? Nothing? I think we'd have been better off if they had. <clears throat> I mean, do you honestly think that the majority of people would have simply sat back with a blank look on their face, "Uh, nobody told me what to do. If I had a brain, I'd be outside playing with it. We're not stupid. But more importantly, you and I know better than any bureaucrat, any governor, any president, what is best for our situation. We understand the risks and what we are willing to accept as well as what we're not willing to accept. And that's how it should have been handled. Government should have largely stayed out of the way. Businesses that want to remain open should be allowed to remain open. People who feel comfortable in going out into public should be comfortable going out in public. They should be allowed to do it. And if they feel better with a mask than without one, fine, do that. People who are at risk can make the decision. Yeah, I don't want to take the chance. I will shelter here at home. I'll make arrangements. Somebody else will work with me to get the things that I need, whether it's companionship or food or water, whatever that is. But instead, we get that centrally planned one-size-fits-all approach that unfortunately succeeds in making everybody miserable, making everyone less free, and in this case, taking a death shot at our economy. We think we've seen it. Well, yes, it's been a little bit upsetting, but, you know, everything's going to bounce back. As much as I don't want to admit it, I believe those economists who are saying the, the real repercussions, the real reverberations of these shutdowns haven't even begun to be felt. And that's what the, you know, with millions, tens of millions of people losing jobs, losing, build, losing businesses, we haven't begun to feel the real impact might not be a bad idea to uh, for all of us to get our houses a little more in order because I think that uh, that reckoning approacheth. all right let's let's take it to a little more positive note what are the best things that you can teach your kids about personal finance and money I hate to admit it but I've had kind of a weird relationship with money for most of my life it's like equal parts of fear and fascination. Sam Bocetta has this article, which was published on the Foundation for Economic Education. Need to teach your kids about personal finance? Here are some fun and engaging ways to start. His point being that it's never too early to start your kids on the road to success, and that includes teaching them about money and finances. I don't know, do you feel like you were shortchanged in financial literacy? He does make a case here why financial education is important. He says financial literacy is one of the most important skills for building a successful life. Unfortunately, many adults don't possess it. Beth Koblener, author of the best-selling book Get a Financial Life and a member of the President's Advisory Council on Financial Capability, points out that the mortgage crisis of recent years shows just how little financial knowledge most Americans have. And it's reflected in the shocking state of personal finance among individual adults in America. Nearly half of all Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Only 46% of Americans have set aside any money at all for a rainy day fund. And the average credit card balance an American Carries is over $6,000. Do you want your kids to make these same mistakes and have financial burdens for the rest of their lives? If the answer is no, then you're probably going to need to start teaching them. How young is too young? Well, he says that a child's money habits can be formed as early as age seven. So we'll just take a quick snapshot of a couple of the lessons that he says you could teach to kids of various ages. Ages three to five, this is the the best lesson to begin with and one that even many adults still haven't learned is you have to save and wait to buy something you want. Now, this is a key lesson for kids to learn at a very young age. And they can begin this process when they're actually very young. I mean, we're talking like three years old. Young children can have a problematic association between going into a store and you buying presents for them. It's therefore important to point out to them that toys cost money and that money isn't unlimited. So when you go shopping, you can explain to them you're in the store for a particular item. Therefore, you will not be buying them presents. Oh, I know if it's a grandkid, that's going to be a tough order, but it still makes sense. In addition, there are some activities you can do with your young kids. Create three jars labeled saving, spending, sharing. And whenever your kid receives money, even if it's a couple of dollars, they can decide which jar to put it in. Use the spending jar for buying sweets or other small items. The sharing jar is for donations to charities or presents for friends. The savings jar is for more important items. But you can teach even young kids to set a savings goal, such as to buy a particular toy Just make sure they're being reasonable with how much they want to save up. They should be able to afford their present in a few weeks. Don't make them wait for a whole year. He goes through what you can teach your kids between the ages of 6 and 10. And this involves building on these lessons. You give them a little more in allowance. Maybe start to include the kids in financial decisions. Do you know the average person spends about 5 hours a week shopping online? So there could be some great opportunities there to... uh, Teach your kids about shopping and the buying process. You can explain certain products offer better value for the money or the importance of taking advantage of sales. Maybe even give your child a little more autonomy at this age. For example, when you need to go shopping for new shoes, give your child money and let them select the shoes they want within that price range. From there, he goes to ages 11 to 13, where you start to shift from short-term saving goals to longer-term saving goals. By the time they reach 11 years old, most kids will have an appreciation of how long a month is. They can start to conceptualize how long they'll have to save up to afford something. This is a good time to teach them about compound interest with real numbers, not just in the abstract. And from there, he suggests that you need to start now. It's never too early to start your kids on the road to success. That includes teaching them about money and finances, the family environment, it's a great environment for imparting lessons that your kids' school may overlook, but there are other advantages. Talking with your kids about money from a young age will not only give them the habits and knowledge they need to manage this successfully in the future, but it will also cultivate an openness that will mean that money's far less likely to be a source of family tension. I think that's really sound advice. Our show today is brought to you by the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. That would be my friend John Staples, his lovely wife Heather, and all the folks who work with them. Patriot Home Mortgage is there to to make your uh, refinance of your existing mortgage or even uh, getting pre-qualified for a home loan as easy as possible. And they operate in 23 different states, which means, yeah, they've got the resources to make it a reality for you. Go to staplesmortgage.com, staplesmortgage.com. That's the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Tell them thank you for sponsoring this program.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.